This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. A slightly different uh, episode this week as we look back at the Brody Lee Celebration of Life episode from last night. I'm Aaron, joined as always by my good friend, Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, everyone. Yeah, this is a very difficult week. And, you know, this is going to be a different episode. So I'm looking forward to talk to y'all for the next hour, hour 15 about this. But, yeah, this is kind of a tough, I think is the only word to do that. But how, how are you holding up, baby? I'm doing all right. It, it turned out I was uh, not looking forward to the episode last night. Uh, but once it got going, it was like, okay, this is uh, nice in some way, you know, to, to watch. So uh, we're also joined, of course by Nate, a.k.a. Epitasis. What's up, Nate? Hello. Hi, guys. I'm here. Um, Mike calling his shot with the episode time there. I like that. Trying to set expectations right off the top that uh, we might run out of things to talk about and uh, just get super <laughs> awkward uh, and just decide, okay, we'll see you next week. So uh, like the smart heads up move by Mike there. He's a smart guy. We like having Mike. Uh, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm going to hit the plugs. Uh, everything AEW is our Twitter. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate's at Epitasis. Mike's at Fuji. Hey, yeah. You can subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice. Just search everything elite. Uh, if you use the Apple podcast app, give us a five-star rating and review, please. Uh, and if you want to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com slash everything elite. Normally we do elite or delete first. I think we'll just do elite this week. We'll just talk about, uh, some of our favorite things. From the show this week, I've got a few listener elites uh, that will bunch in. Uh, there's not going to be any ratings talk this week. No ratings came out, so we'll probably get those what Monday. Uh, so yeah, Monday. Did it? This isn't a thing like last week where we recorded early. We didn't have ratings. It's holiday week, and Nielsen doesn't report on New Year's Eve. Yeah, so we'll get those, and we'll talk about them next week. Uh, but let's get it started with. Uh, Elite or elite, Nate. Uh, what was something that that you enjoyed from the show? Well, I'd, I'd like to select elite first of those options. Um, <laughs> uh, just I think broadly overall, you know, you can. We do a lot of like quibbling on this show. You know, we we have a structure that right at the beginning of every episode is like, hey, let's find something on this show that we can complain about, um, and you know that's kind of necessary for making content a lot of the time. Um, so, you know, you can have your quibbles or whatever, but do just kind of want to appreciate the task that the people that made this television show uh, took upon themselves last night. Um, you know, with the recent tragic death of a coworker, they all went and uh, put on a fantastic piece of entertainment that was, uh, as Jericho said at the top of the show, you know, very cathartic, I think, in addition to being, you know, tragic and overwhelming and all these things. Um, 
and yeah, you know, that goes all the way down the line, you know, crew members, video editing, uh, you know, people sorting out music rights, all that stuff um, just came together in a really remarkable way. Uh, if I, I think finally, the thing that really kind of uh, pushed it over the top for me was uh, the appearance of Eric Redbeard, a.k.a. Eric Rowan, a.k.a. Joseph Rude, Mr. He Looks Insane. Uh, just an absolute joy to see him come out. An absolute, uh, a total shock. Really had no expectation that he was going to be there. I thought, hey, you know, they might. They've had no qualms about, you know, featuring unsigned people on their product and so on and so forth. I wouldn't be surprised if they had video messages from, you know, your Matt Cardona's or whoever it may be. Or maybe we'll see a video message from Eric Rowan. Uh, but did a full-on run-in to even the odds against the inner circle, take out Wardlow. Uh, and that was just what a really just going the extra mile as this promotion uh, does and a lot of things to not only like make that a meaningful moment, I think for probably Eric Rowan, um, but I think also fans who are like, you know, will always associate John Huber, Luke Harper with that tag team. Uh, and it's just, you know, kind of, uh, again, cathartic to get some sort of closure or respect paid to that. Um, also, <laughs> like, very funny that Eric Rowan has essentially been a meme in our little corner of the internet that watches AEW. Uh, and for him to actually appear in this context uh, <laughs> just put a huge smile on my face. Um, and having him <laughs> square off with Wardlow was just phenomenal. So I think that was probably probably the point where it became and you know the rest of that match was phenomenal as well. Uh that just really put it over the top and made it, you know, kind of a magical special thing. Yeah, and you could tell how much it meant for Joseph Root to be there. It was something that you, you know, I know Aaron and I we were, we were talking about this yesterday, but this wasn't necessarily a show that i would say is primarily for the viewership like the viewership it of course is a target here but this was a uh a show really for uh john huber's family a show for his co-workers a show for his friends and i felt like that it was incredibly touching and also in the same way like you could like it was something that i think across the show you kind of walked away going like, oh, that, if you're going to be doing a show like that, you did the right thing. And I think like that is kind of my big takeaway from this episode was that everything, it was like, yeah, of course, the Dark Order are all baby faces and we'll see how that all kind of uncomfortably will change over time to see if that's going to be something that I think they have to go with going forward. But having someone like, that, acknowledging the past, like this is not a company that's ever been afraid of acknowledging people's past and just up and down, and I think the best example of that is having Eric Redbeard, or as much as Jericho wanted to call him Eric Rowan throughout the show, uh, have him out there and have a, a just a little hoss off out out there that I don't think any of one of us would have ever expected coming. It was just like a nice surprise. Yeah, it was like, I mean, I giggled when he came out. It was just like very funny. So it's like the one time when I really got to have a, a huge chuckle on this show. So that was nice. You know, they uh, got to bring out his, his sign and, you know, pay his respects to his friend. 
uh yeah it was a beautiful moment so i'm i <laughs> as much as i just loved <laughs> i think he looks insane over and over <laughs> which i did but what and what a i mean this is perhaps the the lowest of the stakes but what a payoff for that for that bit um <laughs> to see joseph Rude actually show up on aew just oh magical uh you love to see it you really do uh, Mike, was there uh, something particular for you from this show that uh, that you really liked? I mean, the I, I think like the most affecting thing was the Tom Waits video that they put at the end of the show. Other than you know, obviously things with Brody Lee Jr. negative one and all of that, but just a it, and it's something that I know that uh, Chris Mukigana Harrington pointed out is. There's a lot of emotional labor that for doing these kind of shows, and especially for like the people that aren't on camera. I mean, you're someone that like you think about like your producers who have been you, you know guiding these segments. You, you think about the camera people, gaffers, and then the editors. And as an editor myself, I came away with going like that was a real remarkable music music video to end the show. And you know, as I mentioned just briefly before did not shy away from the fact that I, I, I feel like and I and that in a lot of other scenarios that it would have been kept to just like clips within the company, clips within that, but they had a lot of just John Hoover's life in there. And I felt like that that it was beautifully edited and I felt like that it was just a nice move of making sure that this video won't get taken off because of rights issues, the fact that Tony Khan, real billionaire hours, bought the rights into perpetuity was kind of wild, but it was just a nice way to like to like kind of like go out on the show, and it was really kind of fitting. So, if I'm picking just one thing, I kind of that was a thing that afterwards I've gone back and watched it a couple of times, and it still holds up, and it's still really remarkable, and it's just kind of a special way to end the show. Yeah, I think uh, probably very nice for you know his coworkers in the WWE and stuff. Uh, that they had some photos in there to commemorate his time with those people that were important to him. Uh, you know, so in however many years they can go back and pull up the YouTube video and look at that. And, you know, it, it not all being one promotion, it can, it can be about uh, John Huber's life. Like you said, uh, added, added the Tom Waits song to my January Americana folk playlist of music that I don't ever typically listen to. So that's a late ad. Uh, but enjoyed that. Haven't haven't gone back yet. Not haven't gone back to watch anything. Just because. Got to get through this show first. I'm now Matt. You know, Tony owning the rise to that song now has me imagining like a, a Fozzie cover <laughs> incoming. I mean, he, he he must mean that he he got the rights in perpetuity for use, like on AEW right, in that yeah. package. <laughs> but it is really funny to think about. No, I I bought the publishing rights and and the recording <laughs> rights from the from the record label. In totem, like I, I own the song out right now, and I'm gonna yes. use it as my entrance music when, uh, you know, I enter at Jacksonville Jaguars games. <laughs> I mean, we have seen over the years the controversy of people's music rights between like Paul McCartney, Michael Jackson, and then even nowadays with Taylor Swift. So, 
you know, who knows? He might find more uses for Tom Waits' old 55. We don't know, but it, it's just, I, I assume it's something just to make sure that this thing, they can have it up on YouTube. I, I, I as, as great as it would be to hear Jim Ross going, by God, that's Tony Khan's music. And then, and then this very sap, sad song that now, at least for me, is now immediately identified with Brody Lee. That's his theme music. Like, that would be insane. Yeah, I just like the idea of everyone who is uh, affiliated with AEW who does any sort of music, like gets to do a cover of Old 55. Uh, you know, they bring in Leo Rush. He does a cover. Uh, I don't know who else does music on uh, <laughs> in AEW. I've only come up with Fozzie so far, really. So, well, Max Caster, I guess. Marco. I don't, want, I don't want to lawyer you too hard, but I do want to a little bit. You, you can do covers without any rights. There's a... Uh, a compulsory license that as long as you pay people their right, seven right, cents right. or 12 cents on the dollar uh, for a cover, you can do it. I've actually found myself uh, on music TikTok for some reason. Uh, and I have learned that there are services. Basically, you can just sign up and say, hey, I covered the song and they you pay them like something a year and they work out all your all the rights you have to pay to cover. But yeah, yeah, that is true. Um I have to. Uh, Still, I, got, I, I, had a, I had a minor in music business, and uh, of course, I have no Ooh. use for it in my real life. So uh, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna drop one fact on a wrestling podcast about it. Hey, I got my mileage out of my religious studies minor. So we're, we're just finding we're just finding uses for like the uh, the things that we ended up devoting our time to, thinking that it would matter later on in life. Maybe hey, hey, we'll expect a uh, a soliloquy from you later in the show to get that that drama degree some use. I was trying to think about uh, maybe I could talk about, uh, you know, the way some scenes are set up, you know, the way people are placed in certain places and uh, what that means. You know, the I, actually I was in the in the opening scene with uh, opening scene in the the first video we saw of John Moxley and he had his his hat pulled down really low and it was like covering his eyes. But when he would look one way, like one of the eyes would be lit and the other eye was not lit. And I was like. I don't know, is this like some really uh, specific choice that he's making here or I don't think so. I think it's just poorly. poorly it's a happy, happy accident of yes. self self taping your memorial promo from home. Indeed. Uh, my, my choice for kind of my favorite thing, and I tweeted about this, but there was such, this was so obvious in a lot of the um, remembrances of, of Brody and certainly in some of the video packages on the show last night. But amazing to me that everyone agreed that it was good that Brody Lee looked at pro wrestling as a job and he wanted to get out of there as quickly as he possibly could and get home. You know, the story that people told about him always saying goodbye forever when he left, you know, when it was time to go home because he wanted his time at home to feel like he was going to be there forever. Um, I think a lot of times, when athletes, sometimes just when they retire, but certainly when they die, it's like, oh, all this guy cared about was basketball or baseball or, or pro wrestling. Uh, and then, of course, which we've talked on this show about the um, the poor history of wrestling children, you know, the, the children of wrestlers, how they are ignored uh, a lot of times. And so it's heartwarming uh, to see that this was a guy who didn't let wrestling occupy the center of his life. Uh, even though, I mean, I can't imagine that WWE schedule, the way that it uh, monopolizes your time, uh, but he still seemed to find a way to make 
not just his family, but the people that he loved and cared about um, central to his life instead. Uh, and I think that is uh, refreshing and something that uh, I was just really struck by uh, throughout this whole week. Yeah, that was really nice. Um, you know, you didn't you didn't get a bunch of uh, lauded laudits plaudits 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 that you laud someone by giving them yes. plaudits. Is that right? Someone could be lauded, but with plaudits. Someone could be lauded with plaudits. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure that makes sense. We might get a. I'm, not sure to a, I'm gonna write to the the dictionary about that. Um, well, yeah, but you know, it's not a, oh, you know, he was, he was a real grinder. He was on the road, you know, 362 days a year. What a hard worker. It was like, no, you know, this is a guy who loved his family and was a great dad. Uh, and I thought it was also very nice that all, a lot of, if not all of his coworkers, like seemed to have some familiarity with his family and with his children. It was like, Aaron told the story of like, oh yeah, no, you'd look down the hall and there'd be his whole family backstage laughing and enjoying each other's presence uh and that was very very nice to hear so yeah i think you're you're bang on about that yeah and that's something that i guess we are led to believe will continue on with the huber family's relationship with aew i it does seem that and this was kind of one of the remarkable things over this last week versus I would say how wrestler deaths have felt like, at least in my past, where it does seem like there's a concerted effort now not to leave those he left behind behind, if that makes sense. It does seem like that at least with how everything felt last night and how everything's been said and how just the general love that you that you got to see that this uh that this promotion has for uh the hoovers and brody's son and brody's wife that it does seem like that if anything that has been learned in 2020 that that's kind of a positive note that we could leave the year on that like you could tell how much that the company cared for them i mean very much so you like this was a show that um, they made a big deal about about uh Brody Lee Jr. negative one like booking matches and things like that and they constantly did like this and just like the amount of relief I would feel like in a way that and I know I'm, I'm kind of rambling here but just like the the feeling of as uh, as they, there are such young kids that like that they don't have the thoughts of oh my dad gave his life to this industry and what did that kind of leave us like there was like a very strong feeling of that they're they're not going to be forgotten they're not going to be left behind in a way that necessarily hasn't been the case in wrestling and that was very nice to see and it and, and again it seemed like there was like a general a joy and love of this family and i and something that i hope that they keep up afterward yeah there were so many wrestlers who as you were mentioning nate who talked about like oh i was really good friends with amanda or i am really good friends with amanda it's like oh that's so nice that you know they were able he was able to mix that. And it's not like Brody is also thought of as like a real ideas guy within pro wrestling. It's not like he came in and, and punched the clock and, uh, you know, just kind of did what he had to do so he could go home. He was like thought of as a really high level pro wrestler. Uh, plus he was able to uh, prioritize his family. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at all the stories of just like whatever random indie wrestlers or like Brandon Thurston was like, oh yeah, he just came to my my school and and put it a bunch of hours teaching my guys uh, just for love of the business because he wanted to help the younger guys. Um, or like Dalton Castle is like, oh yeah, no, Brody, Brody drove me to my first show and wrestled me and, uh, you know, did all these things for me just because he wanted to, to help the young guys. So it's not like he was, uh, you know, uh, taking short shifts in an effort to, to get back and focus on himself. He was, uh, you know, by all accounts really doing it all. So that's, what's been amazing to me is like, just I mean, obviously we're not getting, uh, I didn't know Brody don't have a full picture of who he was, but from all accounts, it's like just an amazing, extraordinary person who tried to make everyone feel welcome and everyone feel included. And, uh, was just like exceedingly thoughtful in a way you don't really see, uh, from people, you know, we, yeah, John Silver talked about, Oh, he bought me this gear just so I would look better. Uh, but then I saw some people just like, you know, random ass people. It's like, oh, I walked into this thing and he just was like, Hey, what's up? Like, how are you? And then talk to me. Uh, I saw, uh, John from, uh, VOW talk about how they had a random conversation about hockey just because John had on like a hockey hat. So, uh, so Brody like initiated a conversation with them about it. So it's just like, what a light, you know, um, uh, a real bummer. I, I, one of the tweets that I really liked was, uh, our buddy, friend of the show, Drama King Matt, who posted that they had, I assume it was on a house show. They had done some match. And after the match, one of the producers said, oh, you did too much for the second match. And Brody's, Brody looked at him and said, well, don't put us on second next time. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny. So I don't know. Just seems like a sweet dude. Uh, my favorite thing was uh, Miro saying Brody loved dogs and had, <laughs> and had chickens. Like <laughs> yeah. there, there, there great, were a lot of, post. yeah, there were a lot of very sweet posts and it's something that of course, in this time that we think of the best of someone, it does seem that he was as close to impeachable as someone can get within the wrestling industry. And, you know, for someone who's been around for this long, that's, incredibly remarkable i mean to the fact that he did i know i've brought this up on light he did three tours of dragon gate 36 matches total and all of them like all the people that were in the promotion at that time like were tweeting and talking about like how remarkable of a person he was just through like an 11 month period and you don't see that that often and i feel like that that is something that you you know you, you you certainly do hope for the best in people, and it does seem like that John Huber was the best of people. And if there's anything that can come from this, it's hoping that his brand of kindness, civility, and just selflessness can continue within this. And that kind of was like the overall tone of the show last night, and I felt like that that was beautiful. Yes, uh, listener and friend Oak Gan, uh, his elite pick was that he just said that the show struck the perfect balance between somber outpourings of grief and pure joy, both of which made me cry, which, uh, relatable oat. And I think that's right. They kind of hit it out of the park with, um, you know, the videos, the little tributes, uh, and we'll run down the card and I'm sure we'll bring up some of those little tributes that came up. Uh, and then just, you know, Joseph rude coming out and doing a run in. So it, it had it all. 
yeah, the Beaver Boys doing the papers. Yep. Just, you know, stuff that was, you know, reminds you of like the silly, um, just expressions of, I don't know, life that wrestling can be that you don't get in a lot of like more contained forms of media. You know, the, the, these shows are like unique to wrestling. You don't get, <laughs> you don't get this kind of thing when an actor dies or even when an athlete dies or anything like this. It's like unique to wrestling and a lot to uh, take on at once. Um, but I think definitely, I think strengthen everyone's connection to wrestling um, because of them. It's like, yeah, no, there's, value in what we're all doing here because uh, look at this wonderful man and look at the beautiful thing that his friends did to honor him so and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the wrestling uh thoros uh our good friend pointed out uh that he loved how they let uh guys like john silver and 10 get pinfalls on this show instead of more established guys uh that was pretty fun and we'll we can talk about that as we go through uh, the card. Very funny for the commentary to be like, oh, the pressure's really on here because all the other Dark Order members have won. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, Anna Jay doesn't want to drop this match here and end the streak for her team. And it's like, you know, again, just very funny thing that would only make sense in a wrestling context. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we'll get more into it, but it's something that, like, it's something that they put a lot of these people into positions where I can't comprehend the idea of having to go out there days after a mentor passed away and being put into this position. And I would say, and this is not just me being charitable, everyone knocked it out of the park. Like, it's something that, like, they put these people in these positions, and I mean, they had 10 win the main event, which is something that this is a guy who's been on dark other than jobbing, and mostly on dark just does, like, three or four minutes, but he he was in... He was the focus of this match, and that was kind of remarkable. That like it kind of really kind of like put it like a nice bow on the show. I feel like like the idea that they give these people these opportunities, and it's like Silver Reynolds, Anna J, Tay Conti, and Ten, and they just were exceptional. Yeah, that was something I thought about watching the show. Was that I think there is some criticism of AW with like a lot of former WWE guys on top or whatever but and i think there's some there's something to that you know there was a recent poster and it's like oh it's like all old guys basically uh but then you watch this show and it's like bubbling up somewhere is like this huge amount of of wrestlers who uh never really had anything to do with wwe and really weren't widely known properties at all before aw so they're uh, this isn't the point of the show, obviously, but it's a bright future for this company. It was obvious. It was on display on the show. It kicked off with uh, the uh, Tin Bell salute, of course, uh, and then went right into a uh, John Moxley video that we talked about a little bit. I'm not going to recap uh, the videos, uh, but someone mentioned this, I think, in the Discord, it's that it was nice to hear from Mox, considering that he's not like a he's not going to be a guy who does a tweet thread. Uh, and he's somebody that we know was close to Brody, so you kind of want to hear from him, and so it was nice to see his his video remembrance here. It's also kind of interesting just to see Moxley speaking 
at length and like eloquently, but in a genuine, sincere manner, you know, because he always does these sort of promos where he, you know, artfully will bring in some bigger idea, even though he's like, you know, the badass, you know, halfway to garbage wrestler a lot of the time. But it's like, oh, no, he uses these larger ideas and metaphors and illustrations in his promos. Uh, and he kind of just <laughs> did the exact same thing here when he was just speaking from the heart about his friend. Uh, and I don't know. I just thought that was kind of uh, illuminating about who John Moxley is. And it's something that getting into like the videos that like have had very, it, it, it it's something where you see the humanity there. And I feel like that that is one of the emotional things. And even in like this very, very like uh business where there's supposed to be like a clear delineation between personal and professional and all of that like you had john moxley start off the show with a talking about a guy that really he's been linked to other than potentially super smash brothers longer than anyone else in this promotion and you could like feel the heart there and you feel the heart throughout the entire show the the wrestling on the show uh this was the moment where I was like, okay, we've had this Tim Bell salute, this Mox video. And I was like, are we really going to, they're just going to do wrestling matches after this? It felt, it felt, uh, I don't know, sudden or something at the time. Although it, it turned out to be, you know, I think you're right, Michael, you talk about it's a hard position to put everybody in. But at the same time, I think a lot of people just want to do what they know how to do. Like that's the way, that's a way to deal with everything that's going on. I think in this first match, we saw that we had uh, the Young Bucks and Colt Cabana defeat Matt Hardy in private party. Colt walks out and he is uh, clearly a mess. And then, you know, he, the match gets going and uh, he seems like Colt again. So uh, that was nice. Of course, he got the, the pinfall. He pinned uh, Mark Quinn with the Superman pin uh, after the match. The acclaimed came out and it, I was worried about where this was going. Uh, but SCU stopped them pretty quickly and uh, the Bucks and Colt took him out. And this would set up a match for for next week. Yeah, it was a running theme throughout the show. That's like, no, we want to clearly establish for each segment who the heels are here, so that when we have the baby faces get revenge on them, which happened in every single segment, you know, it would be meaningful. Uh, so that 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 was something they definitely made a conscious choice to do. Uh, and yeah, you know, they definitely definitely had the baby faces get the laugh last laugh and every. And they did it in a way that I, I I can only speak for myself, but as soon as like I saw the acclaim come out, I was like, oh, come on, guys. We're not going to be doing like full-on storyline angles here. But they did it in a way where the baby faces got the comeuppance. So it was one of the things that's like, yeah, no, like the heels in their nature are going to be do heelish things, but you know that's not the tone of the show of having the big brawl that everyone gets beat down at the end and that's it. Like it, it was just like one of those things that, you know, they had the moments there keep keeping in continuity, which I understand why I personally wouldn't have, but it worked out in a way that, you know, was very satisfying. Then we had a video from Darby Allen. He primarily, he talked about, you know, uh, how nice uh, Brody was to him. That was interesting. We go from Moxley where Moxley has known Brody for, you know, forever, for a long time. And then you go to someone like Darby, who has only known Brody from AEW, I believe. And uh, but they, you know, still both have have had their moments, you know, with Brody. And of course, Darby talked about uh, wishing that they could have been in the ring together, which 
have to agree with. That would have been a, a very fun match to see. So uh, it was a nice little video from Darby. After that, we had uh, Lance Archer, Evil Uno, and Stu Grayson defeating Eddie Kingston, The Butcher, and The Blade. Lance Archer, of course, was in full uh, Indies, Brody slash Luke Harper uh, regalia here. Uh, Uno pinned Blade uh, after they hit the fatality. Uh, after the match, everybody punched Eddie and then uh, Jake Roberts, uh, the new Drip King, perhaps, uh, <laughs> yeah. hit him with a strong clothesline. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about what uh, uh, Jake Roberts' fit was before we get into the match itself, because if anyone's having like living their best life in quarantine, it does seem to be the wardrobe of Jake Roberts. Just, just like insane stuff at this point. Yeah, so they started this match off by having uh, Evil Uno do the big boot to Eddie Kingston while Bryce was checking uh, Eddie's gear, which is uh, exactly the spot that uh, Brody Lee did to Tim Donst with Bryce Rimsberg also checking Tim's gear uh, back in the day. Uh, so that's just good to see, you know, that sort of attention to detail. Um, and I, it, It's kind of a, maybe a recent phenomenon that, like, we have <laughs> – all these people on Twitter that watch an obscene amount of professional wrestling and gip and gif and not gip gip gif and clip, uh, you know, just tiny little moments from uh, 25 years ago or whatever ca- the case may be, and it's like, you know, I would never have come across that. It's uh, you know one of the rare uses of Twitter, maybe that it's like, oh hey, here's an illustration of what this is referring to, or uh, hey, here's why this is meaningful. Um, so that's just kind of neat. Yeah, and we also saw uh, Eddie come out in a Notre Dame jersey, and somebody, I think, well, Cubs fan was the one who I saw immediately point out that this was a reference to uh, the fact that uh, Brody would claim, would tell people that he uh, played at Notre Dame <laughs> in the 80s, and uh, Big E had pointed that out in a tweet thread a few days earlier, so that was a reference to that. So yeah, something else I would not have known uh, without Twitter, for sure. Yeah, it, it it rocked. Um the, the the fun thing about like the matches on the show and breaking continuity in a lot of ways uh, was Lance Archer and the Super Smash Brothers rock together. Like this was a like, super fun trios matches where Sue Grayson was like f- did like that crazy flying move leading into the finish and just like Lance Archer being like the big hot tag, babyface hot tag just clearing the ring and you know like this was something that like the the vibe of the show is just like I watched this match and I was like, and especially for like a team like Butcher and Blade, they're upstate New York guys. They would, I know Blade has known Brody pretty much their entire career, but, and, and that was not another nice thing about the show. This is just us talking about nice things, this, this episode, but uh, Excalibur pointing out like history of like, oh yeah, no, the Blade and Brody Lee had this history dating back to NWA upstate and just like all like finding ways without going like, just hammering it overhead but like this like kind of explaining the meaning to viewers who might not have known the meaning of why butcher and blade were in, were in this match you know i thought like that was really cool yeah it, uh also just good to see the smash brothers like get to uh get some highlight here get some spotlight uh because they haven't been super featured oddly the super smash brothers kind of as the dark order has has you know recovered and got super over they kind of got less focused than they used to. Like they used to get more time and more matches before the dark order started really working. Um, but you know, they go out here and of course it's like, they don't, 
don't miss a beat. They just have some of the coolest tandem offense that you'll ever see in a tag team. Um, and, you know, every time they're out there, the, the Tony's like, that's Stu Grayson. It's so underrated. It's like, yeah, no, these guys kick ass. Uh, so it was good to see that. And that's, it's always fun to see them just uh, do very violent tag team moves and people. I mean, maybe, who knows, maybe it worked in their favor to be sidelined a little bit because they definitely struggled when they first came in and maybe they've been able to get back on their feet uh, through all, uh, you know, through kind of being put in the out of the spotlight for some period of time. Uh, but now, yeah, I think it's time to kind of push them back into the spotlight and, and let them uh, do their thing. That's one of the things that's great about having Excalibur in the company is that he knows a lot of this history and can bring that to the viewer. You know, if you can imagine what a a commentary booth of Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, and Chris Jericho would have done uh, by themselves on this show. Uh, so it's very nice to have Excalibur on the little bit he can he can slide in. Yeah, and that's that's something I've shouted out about. That's good about AEW in the past. Uh, but they uh, and like Mike said, they don't they don't shy away from acknowledging people's past and other promotions or whatever. But it's not just that they reference it, uh, you know, with something like the the big boot to open the match here. But like with Excalibur there, it's like, no, actually, that stuff that guys did on the indies, like that actually matters and has some meaning. It's like not just, you know, some guys dicking around in a gym or whatever. It's like, no, that's part of these guys' stories. And we're going to like respect that as we continue to, to follow their characters through our promotion. And Excalibur is the perfect person to like be pointing us out things because – PWG was kind of the place, I mean, really where Super Smash Brothers broke out outside of Chikara in 2012 to 2014. So it just interweaves itself in a really fitting way. And I don't know how much uh, of that three-man booth, if it did not have Excalibur, boy, I feel for Tony Schiavone in that instant. I would feel really hard there because it's good to have someone there that's able to kind of uh, do the heavy lifting there. And this match... It, I, I didn't do like any ratings on this show, but this match probably, with the exception of like the women's tag match, I came away with going like this match was awesome. Like like, and I know some people are like adding matches from the show onto like year end lists, and I totally understand that. But like this was just kind of like a really fun match, and like the person I kind of walked away from this match going like, holy crap! Like this person is really great. This kind of thing is Lance Archer and Trio's matches rocks. Like just was an absolute great time. Yeah, I think that's all true. I just that really struck me what you said, Nate, about them making the what they did on the Indies matter. And it's like maybe that can be a, a legacy of AEW that it makes uh, it makes other wrestling important again. You know, because WWE's whole thing has always been, oh well, he's never done it in the in the big leagues, kid. And it's like maybe AEW can knock that uh, out of the discourse of of pro wrestling. Um. After this, we had a video with uh, Dax from FTR, Arn Anderson, and Bryce Rimsberg. And basically, it was all about what I talked about earlier, uh, about how much Brody uh, loved and cherished his family uh, and didn't let pro wrestling consume his life. Uh, this was particularly devastating because Bryce, uh, you know, was crying the entire time he was on camera. So it was a very brutal uh, video to watch. And Bryce is another person that has had a very tough go, and especially with like independent wrestling and with all of this, like 
especially like that was the thing that like watching the show that kind of struck me was for people like uh bryce rumsberg getty kings and chuck taylor who have already experienced like incredible loss in wrestling just even before they really got their names made is kind of it was something that like you really felt for them and you could see with like bryce rumsberg like his relationship with brody and the hoover family like it was all kind of it was really tough to watch but it was very touching and very beautiful in a way then we had a team of Heyman Page, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds defeat MJF, Santana, and Ortiz. Uh, Silver pinned Ortiz after a uh, discus elbow. Uh, before all that, they had a little bit where MJF was kind of uh, antagonizing Brody Jr., who was at ringside throughout the night uh, in his little suit that just uh, killed me as soon as I saw that. Uh, and he, the payoff was him, uh, hitting the absolute shit out of MJF in the head, uh, with a kendo stick. And of course, as we mentioned earlier, uh, Wardlow interfered, but, uh, Eric Redbeard himself, Joseph Rude, uh, evened the odds. Yeah, this was my, this was my favorite thing on the show. This whole match, just like a big sweeping uh i mean john silver's baby face fire doing the fucking like <laughs> the canadian rollover canadian destroyer off you know by the tip of his ankles um and just getting to show his you know uh cesaro tot tag prowess and running wild uh and you know all the guys on commentary marking out for that um just a a great watch very fun uh, one like the right kind of overbooking where there's 10 things happening at once uh, and it just takes you on a ride and heightens from one thing to the next thing uh, and capping it off perfectly with that kendo stick shot. Then you see Brody Jr. who's just smiling from ear to ear. He's already got the pro wrestling facialist because he's got his tongue hanging out of his mouth. Uh, just fantastic. You, you also like had stuff that like, like the way they're like playing all things kept us in continuity mjf after everything had a puerto rican style gear and he was a part of santana and ortiz and came out the headband which was kind of playing off like the video and of like last few weeks uh, that that it is that mjf is starting to ingratiate himself more into the inner circle the paper throw to start and something that i do not believe that chris that that either chris jericho or jr knew about the paper thing that they've probably not watched a single bte in their lives but playing off of that and the cesaro hot tag nate i did not realize until you said it like he basically did the whole cesaro running rough shot but adding in like doing topic on hellos to it from the apron it just was an absolute blast it just was a good time with that and the the look on brody jr's face after just clocking mjf with the kendo stick i was like this is what the show is about this show is to pop brody jr and to provide solace to his family and friends and i was like hey now this kid uh, like regardless is like yeah no this happened and, and and that's a story that that will stick with him probably hopefully for the rest of his life somebody had pointed out i think this was on twitter that you know it's hard to keep in mind you know that mjf has just lost his grandfather uh santana just lost his stepfather uh so it's just been a really rough go for for all these guys and um this seemed at least felt from from my perspective cathartic you know kind of for everybody uh but yeah the you tie everything together here um i mean i i hadn't done any of my 
year in lists. I mean, other than, you know, what we did on the Patreon, but I haven't, you know, submitted any anywhere. I certainly, I'll probably throw this one on there. Uh, cause it was, I don't know. It was exactly what I needed, exactly what I wanted. Uh, it just kind of hit all the right notes. So it was nice. Uh, then we got, uh, an Eddie Kingston video, you know, uh, and I kind of have the same reaction, Nate, where you talked about the Moxley video of like, Oh, this is, I mean, this is just how Eddie talks. Like, <laughs> yeah. Eddie's promos are just Eddie. This was the clearest example of that. Yeah, this was uh this was a doozy to put Eddie on right after uh John Silver and Eric Rowan in the ring. Um and they were both uh crying and you go right to Eddie. That was a, that was a one two punch for sure. It, it it's something that and this just popped up on Twitter as we're recording one of his quotes. Like if you remember his teachings, he's never gone, as they named Minus one wrestler of the week. That was the quote they gave for him with that. So another nice thing for Brody Lee Jr. and all that. But yeah, no, probably the, one of the most heavy promos or just people to talk or hear talk of recent generations, Eddie Kingston. Like this is like a one to really like a grand slam of like you had Bryce, you had everyone's emotions in this match, Eddie Kingston. You had just the, the sheer emotion, at least for Amanda J and the women's tag coming up now. Yes, thank you for that segue, Mike. It did lead into the women's tag match. Uh, Anna Jay and Ty Conti defeated Britt Baker and Penelope Ford. Anna submitted Penelope with the Queen Slayer. Um, after the match, Britt was talking to Tony. She's uh, bringing back up, you know, there's a conspiracy against her. The whole thing is rigged. Uh, it's kind of a big rig. A little shout out from Britt. Uh, but Thunder Rosa attacked Britt after that. They had a little, a little brawl. But, uh, man, this was, I thought, uh, an excellent match. Yeah, strong match. Uh, Jericho walking all over that punchline before Britt could get to it. Um, yeah, the other, <laughs> Tony, uh, also like, hey, wait, Penelope Ford's really good. We don't talk enough about that. Yeah, she, yeah <laughs> she's really good. <laughs> what do you want? Like, yeah, we, you should have her on Dynamite. Yeah, and Rebel was excellent as a manager. It's a, it, it's a it's a shame that we live in a world that Taz is so above and beyond the best manager non-wrestler because Rebel, few things have popped me over like the last few months than Rebel and this Britt Baker act and her at like trying to like interfere and kind of playing it up as like incompetence in a way was great. And then, you know, the match itself was excellent. I mean, both Anna Jay and Ty Conti have really, really have over the cross the year, arguably probably two of the 10 most improved wrestlers. So it was great to see them get prolonged time and, and this kind of not, not to bring up like that point, everyone equipped acquitted themselves quite well in this match. And, you know, this was a blast. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to do my whole thing that I normally do. Uh, I, I, tried, I tried to like skim it and not, not, <laughs> I was trying, I was trying to pull up out of it, even as I was going into it. <laughs> yeah. But I, I will just say that, Everybody here was really good and and looked like they uh, belonged. I do television. I do really like the uh, the rec- the rehabilitation of Rebel in pro wrestling has been really fun. Yes. Also, man, this uh, Ty J tag team it just kicks ass. It's a great tag team. I really enjoy watching them. So it's it's fun. And Anna J, man, she uh, she really struggled here uh, just emotionally, and it was just good to see her get to get a win. And I don't know, it's wrestling, so it's like. It's dumb to say it was good to see her win, but it's like it was. I I don't know. It's this is like I think what you were saying, Nate, about like this can only happen in wrestling. 
It's like we're seeing a real person deal with real tragedy. Yeah. But, but that's also filtered through like their re- pro wrestling character. Yeah, it's they're, like they're play oh. act, they're play acting this fake combat while you know, but they're also like they are themselves. It's very weird because you know, wrestling pretends to exist in the real world and in some ways does exist in the real world. A lot of the characters are the real people, but a fake version of their real people. So it's yeah, it's just wholly unique to wrestling. It's very bizarre. Uh, and it kind of, you know, seeing Anna Jay, the real person out here struggling, um, you know, and crying uh, about this in the middle of her performance uh, is just unique. And it affects the audience in a way that uh, I don't know that anything else does. Um, but, you know, like everybody went out there and killed it. Like they they were feeling all the emotions, but it didn't, you know, they weren't shying away from having a great match so um yeah this was another the hits kept on coming then we had a chris jericho video where he uh strangely decided to tell a story of him not understanding uh islam uh (laughs) i was already like why do you have to bring saudi arabia into this uh jericho and then he tells a story of not understanding the uh, the thing inside the hotel room that points toward Mecca and Brody having to explain it to him. And he used this to be like, Brody was maybe the smartest man who ever lived. You know, that was like his perspective on it. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God bless Chris Jericho. He's had to do a lot of these. Uh, yeah, He made some some choices with how he was going to remember Brody here. I talked about dogs. You, you know, he pulled it together at the end talking about dogs and, you know, it's something I forgot who brought it up, but like you think about like Jericho, like going through all of this, and and of course in 2020 Jericho's way, he has to do just some weird, unnecessary. Like I don't understand the fact that a hotel in Saudi Arabia has an arrow pointing somewhere. Like come on. But yeah, uh, I think Chelsea pointed this out in the Discord, and you uh, you kind of referred to this in a way. You're saying yeah, I stole like- Chelsea? Is that what you're saying? You're saying I'm I'm stealing more points from the Discord patrons? I just like to shout out our patrons and our our Discord friends whenever I get the chance. But it's like this is a guy who um, has gone through a lot, has has lost a lot of his friends in this business. Uh, And so, I don't know, maybe a decent night to just uh, be charitable (laughs) to to Jericho. Well, we already already did this segment, so. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right and then uh the main event match uh we had uh Brody jr's three favorite wrestlers teaming together cody orange cassidy and 10 uh and they defeated brian cage ricky starks and powerhouse hobbs of team taz uh yeah as we talked about a little bit 10 got the the win he pinned ricky starks with a spine buster uh after the match team taz attacked including a hook suplex, our first, I think our first time seeing Hook do something physical. No, uh, uh, he did a clothesline on Dark this week. Okay, well, I didn't watch Dark much this week, yeah. so. <laughs> no, no, that's entirely fair. That's entirely fair, but this week, Hook is getting involved. He's getting his hands dirty. Right. Uh, well, the lights the lights went out, and then we saw Darby walk out a door, and then the lights went out again, and uh, the door opens again, and it's Sting. And, uh, and they, on commentary, they're like, Wait, are are they partners? Are they together? A bunch yeah. of do-gooders? 
<laughs> yes. Yeah, are. it was very, very, I guess they wanted to, and I'll, you could tell from the tweet that I tweeted that, is, oh, the significance of this is, oh, that Darby and Sting are together now. It's not just that Sting yeah. is pointing at him up in the rafters or they're, uh, you know, interested in him. Oh, no, they're they're actually hanging out because they're uh, they're in the green room together or in their end catering discussing what they're going to do later in the show. Uh, so <laughs> it's very funny to do the blackout. Oh, a side door opens. The blackout again. <laughs> oh, the same side door opens. Like, you guys could have <laughs> consolidated maybe just open the door and walk out together at the same time. <laughs> well, uh, well, they had to get the snow silly. effects working. They had to get the snow effects working and they had to have the camera on the snow machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, show, showing the snow machine. Also yeah. a funny, <laughs> funny choice. I do love, love the snow for Sting. Love Ricky Starks sawing the snow every week and, you know, brushing it out of Hook's hair. Uh, a big joy, but yeah, very <laughs> Tony Schiavone yelling, oh, it's snowing in Florida while they zoom in on the fake snow. <laughs> I mean, the really important thing was they had to play both songs, you know, so right, absolutely. I, you know, uh, not to blow smoke up his ass, but the, the Darby entrance theme is about the best as far as having a big cue at the top and being like, hey, this fucking guy is showing up right now, like it, it fits him perfectly. It sounds awesome, and it, it makes sense coming out of the, the blackout. Sting also, one of the better themes in the company. Um, I guess, <laughs> do we think that it's like, oh, we don't want th- people to think that Sting is magical, so let's show them that it's just a snow machine? Is that the thought process, I wonder? Uh, but it is funny. I, I, I think that they should uh, that they did a, a rare bad move on this show because I believe that Sting should be magical, and somehow he's learned the power of generating snow in Duval County, Florida. I, I think that there's I think that we should like start treating uh Sting like he's Poseidon and have control of the weather systems and maybe Darby gets some sort of control over lightning, fire. I mean, just go through the whole entire uh Greek just mythic system and let's get let, let's start assigning people like their patron deities. Let's go with this. I I, I, I think that, that was a misstep. Don't show the machine. We we should believe that Sting is Poseidon. That would really bring a new side to Surfer Sting, I think. I know. <laughs> I said Poseidon for a reason, like Surfer Joker Sting. Like it, it all lines up here. That's why I'm Sting? such a great surfer because I control the waves. <laughs> exactly. Sting oh, wow. might be the the reincarnation or a or a child of Poseidon. I'm just putting it out there, and they ruined it by having the camera shot there because I, just within two minutes, I've just delivered a massive and varied mythos to the character of Sting in the last like four weeks like like we've learned a whole lot here and they dashed it out by showing the snow machine and finally it would tie together like all of the sting characters from throughout his career so i like this idea i do uh they all kind of like team team sting and team taz kind of like faced off here uh give me sting versus taz is all i really have to say (laughs) no reaction to that uh Cody's in the ring for uh, the final uh, whatever segment of the night. Uh, he brings out uh, Amanda, Brody's wife, and Brody Jr., one of Brody's sons. Uh, Nolan, not his other son, was in the 10-bell salute, but not featured as much, I guess, because he's very young. He's, it looks like he's about two or three or something like that. Uh, they, they placed uh, Brody's boots in the middle of the ring. Uh, Cody added a purple bandana. You know, it's kind of the, the ritual... Um, retiring of Brody's boots and uh, his gear here. Tony brought out uh, the TNT title, uh, Tony Khan, that is, and gave it to Brody Jr. 
uh, you know, said that uh, Brody Jr., he named Brody Jr. the, the TNT champion for life. Uh, we found out after the show that AEW will retire that design of the TNT title. He gave him the actual TNT title, uh, and they will debut a new design in the future. Yeah, just a really nice gesture. Really well done segment. Um, you know, very thoughtful and appropriate. Um, and, you know, amateur wrestlers would retire by leaving their their boots in the ring. He leaves his boots here, uh, even down to when Brody won that belt from Cody, he got rid of Cody's version was like, you get this old busted one, Cody. I get this new one. And that's when they debuted the new TNT title. So, you know, very fitting to to give it to his son, who by all accounts was like sleeping with the belt after he won it. So, yeah, um, you know, kind of overwhelming, but really, really well done uh, tribute here. Yeah, and it's something that I think is an object that, of course, is a wrestling title belt, but it's already shown so much meaning for Brody Jr. And it's something tangible that as a as a child now, as he grows up, like he'll, in theory, have this title belt for his dad. And then when Nolan, like that, that that's something that like be like, oh yeah, no, this was your dad's like crowning achievement, and it's a part of who we are. And I feel like that that was very affecting. Yeah, this this show will live forever. Uh, so they'll always have it to go back to. Uh, the show ended with uh, the the Birdie Lee tribute video that we talked about. Off the top with the Tom Waits 055 uh, scoring the video uh, featuring uh, they, you know, had a, a smart way to get around like uh, rights issues on some things where they just had like photos of of him with uh, Bray Wyatt uh, or with other people, you know, that he that he worked with uh, I, over I the am years. Curious. Do you think they were DMing Bray Wyatt like, hey, can we use your photo in our video? I'm, I'm curious about that. Yeah, I don't know. Um I mean, it, somebody it, does own those video, those photos. Somebody does, yeah. Whoever it's it's whoever took the photo, right? As yeah. the owner of the rights of the photo. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I don't know enough about like image and likeness or whatever uh, rights to know if Bray Wyatt has a beef if he doesn't like that he was featured. I don't. Yeah, know. I'm sure no one has any genuine complaints, and I'm you know I'm sure everyone appreciated it. Like I said. Uh, just you know, the mechanics of that are interesting. Like, is it the official AEW account that slides in your mentions, or does that are they just like, oh, everybody's fine with it? I wonder. Well, a lot of the pictures that they included were ones that I saw people post on Twitter, so I imagine yeah. they reached out to those people and said, Hey, we'd like to use that photo. Uh, like I, the one that had um, Becky, what's, what's her name? Becky Lynch. <laughs> Becky Lynch. The one that had Becky right. Lynch in it. The, 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 that's a possible Patreon show where was that I a show... is that a Hilaria Baldwin moment? Yeah, yeah, a Hilaria Baldwin. Come on, City State. What we're going to do, Nate, is we're going to throw up photos of various people who have been in WWE in different time periods, and we have to figure out how many Aaron gets, and that'll be a fun game for everyone to play along with at home. Aaron might do better than me. I had a, I had a window of WWE watching, but I think you guys both watched long before I did. Oh, yeah. I mean, I started watching at like five years old and watched yeah. it for a long time. Um, I don't know why Becky was just... Uh, <laughs> Be- Becky Lynch, arguably like the biggest star that they've had in the last uh, <laughs> three years. Not coming to not coming to your brain? Sorry. Not- I-, I tried. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, we it forget. Very, of course. It was very touching. I was glad. I talked on light, you know, that I... I mean, I would have liked... Um, 
I'm not a, I'm not being critical whatsoever of the show, but I did want there to be involvement of people from outside of AEW. You know, I thought that would be nice. Uh, and so it was nice that this was the way they could do it. Uh, mm-hmm. There was also, I mean, all over Twitter, uh, tons of people who currently work for WWE talked about watching the show and how much they enjoyed it. Uh, I think it was just nice that everybody felt like they were doing this thing together to honor their friend. And so uh, it was a thing that, and I mentioned this at the top of like, when this show was starting, I was pretty skeptical of it. And I really didn't, I honestly probably wouldn't have watched it uh, if we didn't do this podcast. Uh, but by the end, I was like, uh, just didn't want it to end, really. It's like, fuck, when this is over, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, strangers like, well, I've, I've seen enough of these that I kind of, kind of know the layout and a little bit of what to expect, which is. But yeah, you know, I guess I'm thankful because again, like you don't, you kind of don't get these. I mean, other, other, you know, you watch your actors or whatever. You don't also have these weird relationships with the performers like you do in wrestling. Um, So yeah, you know, just kind of thankful that this is something unique to wrestling where you can even get any sort of ceremony or celebration like this. Um, You know, it it is cathartic. It kind of just made made it easier for me to stop you know going down the timeline and it's like oh shit here's another dozen stories about uh a a nice thing this guy did um yeah it just kind of makes it more of a communal release uh and that's i think can be uplifting and healthy right and it's something that i feel like in a lot of ways this was like one of these first big shows for this generation in this regard and with how wrestling fandom and like wrestling content and like the relationship the parasocial relationship between the fan the consumer and the wrestler has drastically changed over the last decade this felt more of a communal experience than i would say any of like the previous like wrestler memorial like celebration of life shows that I remember saying, like, while growing up and watch wrestling. So it's the, the, the communality of this, I think, is the real remarkable thing coming out of this. And it seemed like, and seeing like the clips after the show, that, you know, the, the primary audience, in my opinion, being the Huber family, it seemed like that this was a really important moment for it. And, you know, uh, Brody Brody Jr. clocking all of the Dark Order with kendo sticks afterwards. And you could tell like that this was a moment that, you know, it's not going to be something that is it's going to look back with sadness, of course, but it's not going to be looked at with anger. Instead, looked at it as like a special moment that was that was solemn. It was sad. It was modeling at times. But, you know, at the end, it was very beautiful. Yes, that was uh, the the AEW celebration of life uh, for Brody Lee. I'm not going to do the full uh, Patreon plug that I usually do. Uh, I'll just say Mike and I tried to do a show on Saturday for, you know, we usually put out shows on Monday because of the holidays. Saturday was really the only chance we had to record. And in the middle of recording, we found out that that Brody had passed and uh, we neither of us really felt like finishing the show and we didn't feel like what we'd recorded uh, really would, was appropriate to the tone of of uh, the day. So we bend that. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it's right up against the end of the month. So uh, we weren't able to to do something extra. Uh, but, you know, we'll be back next month uh, with, with plenty of content. So you can check that out at 
patreon.com slash everything elite. Okay. Um, next week, basically they've, they've taken everything that was going to be on the show this week and moved it over uh, to next week. Uh, they're still going to do the two nights of new year's smash, but it'll be, you know, the, the sixth and the 13th. Uh, Snoop Dogg is going to be on the show of the go big show. Of course that Snoop Dogg, if you were uh, confused, uh, here's what we know for that show. I don't know if this is going to be taped or if it's going to be live. No, but, no indication whatsoever. Yeah. So uh, we'll have uh, the men's world title match, Kenny Omega versus Phoenix. Uh, the women's world title, Hikaru Shida versus Abaddon. The Bucks and SCU versus the Acclaimed and the Hybrid 2. Jake Hager versus Wardlow. Cody Rhodes versus Matt Seidel. And Chris Jericho will be on commentary for the show. Uh, and we found out a bunch of matches for uh, the 113 show also, but we'll talk about that when it gets uh, closer to that show. So anything else you guys want to talk about before we get out of here? Happy New Year. Yeah. <laughs> Happy New Happy Year. Happy Indeed. Any, oh, yeah. oh, what's on what's on your queue, uh, Aaron? I know you and Sarah tend to do a movie marathon for New Year's. We do. Uh, we haven't planned anything Uh Jason Isbell is doing a live stream. I'll probably watch that uh, tonight. I think that's at eight or nine, but central time. So that fucks me up. So I'm not sure when it actually starts. Um, well, so I'll probably watch you're that. You're one hour ahead. Yeah. I Literally, the way I can figure out central time is I remember watching like television as a kid and it'd be like, blah, 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 at eight, seven central. And I have to say that in my head. Like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, five, five, four central. Like, that's the way I have to do it. So. It, I'm very dumb it when seemed, it comes to time. It seems like that there's a lot of uh, artists kind of taking advantage of that because I have a live stream I'm watching tomorrow that they're doing. Mm-hmm. A One of my favorite acts, Tycho, usually does, like, he goes to Burning Man and does a set. But he's like, I'm going to do that on New Year's Day, like a sunrise kind of set that, you know, I've seen that. And then, of course, our friend of the show, Murder Brian, had a really fun stream a couple of days ago. So... That they're, they're, we're not at a lack of content here for a New Year's weekend. So, Nate, are you? Do you have anything that you're playing on watching or playing on over the New Year's weekend? Uh, no, my big live stream got delayed a month. Um, I did get uh, that little bottle of Polish vodka that I was sipping on. Uh, so that, those are my New Year's plans. Is basically that uh, weird orange Polish vodka, and I'm probably gonna play Destiny. <laughs> I think feels like a Destiny kind of day. Um, yeah, that's all. That's all I think I got going on. Just watching the new ray, ray tracing on the PS5. Yeah, I may, I might have, uh, might have acquired an Xbox Series X. Um, I did previously talk about having a problem uh, on this show, uh, so I'm actually playing it on that because it's free on Game Pass. Oh well, there you go. Do you have any uh, 2020 movies to recommend if we throw some on tonight or tomorrow? Oh, is it only 2020? Is that the gimmick? Yes, is that the rule? That makes it tough. It does. I don't know if you've heard about this Wonder Woman 1984, but uh, everybody is abuzz about it, just saying that it's uh, really great and short, and the politics are really good. Um, so that's a candidate for you. If there's ironic. anything I love, it's any way I can support the IDF. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's one. If you're really into magical lassos. Yeah, things vaguely being in the 80s, but doesn't seem like it's really in the 80s. Uh, uh, Reagan 
Reagan, you know, I mean, it has has all the hits there. And if you're and if you're on that Max Life, I mean, there is a whole world to you if you go Funny, to. I'm HBO all about that Max Life. Well, there we go. There we go. Uh, so, I'm so trying... you guys didn't come up with anything? Uh, no, nothing came out in 2020. I don't. The theaters were like closed. You could watch Tenet, yeah. I guess. Tenet? Did Tenet ever come out? Actually, it's streaming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I watched Borat, the new Borat movie. Borat, That's a movie yeah. I know I watched. I already this saw year. that. Yeah. Um, I watched the. I've like a lot of documentaries that I watched this year, but I don't know necessarily if they're from 2020. Yeah, I got another uh, for you. Heaven's Gate. That's a documentary from 2020. That's a wild series. Uh, uh, gets you in a real good mood going no into series, the year. Mike, this is a movie marathon. I mean, it's four episodes. It's that's that's, that's like a, a f- that's not a movie. Yeah, it is. Thank that's you. like four hours. Also, not a movie. Uh, Twin Peaks: The Return. That is not a movie. Internet. I mean, <laughs> I don't know anything about that, so I don't have an opinion. You know Tell fucking, me why. You know that fucking obnoxious is a television show. <laughs> you know that. You know I'm that obnoxious. With Twin Peaks. Yeah, you know that obnoxious uh, best movie ever poll that people were doing for like I don't know eighteen months. Have you seen mm-hmm. this? I must yeah. this. <laughs> so some I don't know some guy did a, a, a you know a bracket of best movie ever with like I don't know one hundred and twenty eight movies or. 516 movies or something ridiculous so okay. so from time to time people were retweeted like oh this is a travesty that uh fucking sleepaway camp is losing to the craft i don't know um and retweet it into your feed and like twin peaks the return the television series on showtime was like in the top four of the best movie of all time it's not a fucking movie it's a television show it yeah, started would- as a television show it really drives me insane have to agree with you. I'm I'm scrolling some best of 2020 movie lists, and frankly, I don't recognize mostly or almost all of them. Uh, but I see, I don't know, was the was the Harley Quinn movie any good? That's on here. I gave it like three stars. Um, it was fine. I got I, I'm a little annoyed. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting all my complaints out at the end of the show because I saved good. them all during the show. Good. I'm a little annoyed that people. I, I it, it's some level of contrarianism where they're like. Oh, you know, the DC movies, they're so raw and, you know, exactly the good kind of stupid comic book shit. No, it's just the same slop as the Marvel movies. It's just like less popular. So a certain person is drawn to it. Like they're not they're. I think they're probably less functional movies. They certainly fail to uh, meet the intent, which is to be like successful um, in a way that the Marvel movies are, which they don't succeed at. Uh, so they're less functional as far as the purpose of a blockbuster movie, which is not to make art, but to, you know, uh, pop a giant box office rating. Um, but then I don't know, I, I, there's some level of irony poisoning where it's like, yeah, actually the DC movies are good when they're just like the same. <laughs> so, uh, it's fine. It's a fine movie. Uh, I think we talked about maybe on the Patreon, I was annoyed that they just made Gotham Los Angeles in that movie. Yeah. 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 I was like, okay, Gotham's like, we did, we did New York is Gotham, Chicago is Gotham, Pittsburgh is Gotham. Uh now Los Angeles is Gotham. Why not? Who gives a fuck? Uh really looking forward. I was gonna say, really looking forward to when they decide to make New Orleans Gotham. New Orleans Gotham would be interesting, maybe. Um, Miami Gotham. Is Blade from New Orleans? Is that where Blade is from? I want to say he's from New Orleans. I'm not certain of that. Don't at me, but I want to say he's from New Orleans. Okay, yeah, that's, that's official now. Blade's from New Orleans. 
<laughs> except in the in the Blade movie, of course, he's like in some uh, you know weird European brutalist Gotham. <laughs> it's not New Orleans at all. Um, you might. It, it's honestly, it's worth a watch. I guess is what I would say. There's a good ode what, to the to the. What movie are we family. talking about? <laughs> uh, Birds of Prey, the Harley Quinn movie. <laughs> oh, that's like, right. That's it's right. mostly a call to like Murder Brian, who's like, yeah, Birds of Prey was really good. It's like, yeah, it was better Whoa. than all the other terrible Always asked DC out. movies. All the other DC movies were just, you know, less successful versions of the Marvel slop. Um, yeah, so that was, I, I didn't prepare a rant, but this is the uh, angry comic book nerd portion of this program. What about uh, what about the Bill and Ted movie? That was fine. Uh, I was more generous it, to it than it probably deserved because I really like Bill and Ted. The idea of the of the Bentley New Year's Eve movie marathon is mostly like lighthearted movies. Yeah, like, well, both of those are definitely lighthearted. So, yeah, I mean, again, I'm I'm being overly critical of these, but these are exactly the kind of movies that I'm like, I want to just sit down and fucking watch something, and they're exactly what I right. do. So, yeah, uh, they certainly fit in that regard. Uh, Bill and Ted, uh, kind kind of a very. 2020 movie and that it's uh more about bill and ted's daughters than it is about them um and i don't know didn't really have any jokes basically a no jokes movie but kind of sweet kind of cute um gotta be something i can recommend to you i don't know that there is not for 2020 what about what about the bad boys movie did not see that i don't think i've ever seen a bad boys movie really even as a kid kind of surprised no, yeah, yeah. I don't uh, doesn't come to mind. Hmm. All right, well, nothing is really jumping out on these uh, 2020 lists. You're gonna have you, you might. I mean, if you want 2020, if you're gonna restrict this to 2020, you kind of have to yeah. go like deep art house or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really not the. It's just not the idea of the of the night. Uh, there was a um, a documentary in October. I think that was pretty good. Uh, it's called Black Pink Light Up the Sky. <laughs> I've seen that. Oh, okay. That's uh, what I actually watched. Dun, dun, dun. I, th- I just I think we're out of luck, really, for 2020 movies. I I think you just have to watch a documentary series about the Heaven's Gate cult. I, I'm not watching any fucking series. <laughs> 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 All right. There. <laughs> All right, there, Giamatti. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's uh, I think that's a sufficient episode. Okay, yeah, I'm glad we could uh, not solve anything for you here. <laughs> Just yeah. like uh, life. Hopefully, Just I like made life. some people Nothing mad. I guess. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Um, we'll be back next week. That's it. Bye. Saving for the future, but savings accounts suck, and investing can be scary. We combine the ease of savings with the real returns of investing. We call it Save Vesting. 
and it's only available in our new app, Stairs. Stairs offers 4-6% returns, no fees, and you can withdraw anytime. Do your future a favor. Visit StairsApp.com today.